it's great to be back with you for another episode of At Home with Lauren Keenan, your authority on home, lifestyle and interior design. I'm Lauren Keenan, your friendly podcast host and the founder of Lauren Keenan Home, my interior styling and design business. And my lovely husband and podcast producer, Scotty, is here with us as well. Yes, and of course, we approach design with a sense of fun and a firm belief that everybody deserves a home that they truly love, which is what you're all about with your business and what this podcast is all about too. Most days, you can find me here in my interior design and styling studio, but I love making this show for you as well. And today, we have got an absolute cracker of a guest who's going to help us be at our best when we're entertaining at home this summer. Yeah, we're all out of lockdown in New South Wales and Victoria now. It's so good. Uh, And there is nothing better than having friends and family around to hang out with and have some fun as the weather warms up and we get ready for Christmas. And that's right in Matt Preston's wheelhouse. Yes. So you know him from 11 seasons of MasterChef Australia, where he was a judge. And today we're catching up with this award-winning food journalist, cookbook writer and TV host to talk about the secret to summer salads and entertaining. Yes, so you can read him this weekend in Delicious in the Stella magazine and the Sunday papers. But first, have a listen to our conversation with Matt Preston here on At Home with Lauren Keenan, your authority on home, lifestyle and interior design. Preston, welcome to the show and thanks so much for joining us today. Absolute pleasure, Lauren. Lovely talking to you. So you've been a really successful food writer and a food critic for a number of years now, and I'm sure you've eaten in countless hatted and Michelin-starred restaurants around the world, but your cooking and your books always seem to have really accessible recipes and they're reasonably simple to follow. Wondering what keeps you in that lane instead of going down that sort of fancy food. Uh, look, I, look I, I think when I, when I started, I'm, I've been writing recipes for 20 years now, um, about 20 years. So it's been, it's been a lesser known part of, of what I do as a food writer uh, and it's something that I've continued to do. I, I, stopped, I stopped reviewing restaurants maybe 12 years ago I think when I started, I wanted to, you know, uh, well, I wanted to write about what I knew about um, cooking, which was which was very much home cooking. I think my first recipe feature was on biscuits. I did go through a phase. I did go through a phase about uh, when I when I was trying to, you know, be taken seriously. That terrible thing, you know, taken seriously. <laughs> I was trying to do kind of trendy ideas and 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 tricky techniques, and I, I realized fairly quickly I didn't feel comfortable with it. The food wasn't as tasty, and people didn't enjoy it as much. The recipes of mine that have, you know, in the columns, for example, that have had the biggest resonance have been things like how to poach an egg. So it's perfect every time. It's such a simple thing, but everyone's hungry for the how to get crispy skin on a salmon. So I think there's a, there's a genuine value for that. And look, I mean, again, I think, you know, when we're at home, if I can show you a, a restaurant style um, hat to get, to get more flavor in your dish, then I'll use it. But at the end of the day, we don't have time to start recipes four days in advance. We don't have a team of people to do the washing up. We don't have a team of chefs to do stuff. So so home cooking is, you know, there's this weird disconnect between getting chefs to do cookbooks for home cooks where, where it's not their food. It has, it has no connection. Too often the books are tested by, by a trained chef in the restaurant kitchen using the restaurant equipment, you know, and I've always had great admiration for the likes of Rick Stein and, Heston, who've employed a, when they test their recipes, they employ a recipe tester who, who in Heston's case, they actually hired a, they actually hired a, a, a two up, two down house in Bray and put the tester in there. So she had to test using only home kitchen equipment because you've got to, it's got to be attainable by anyone who wants to cook it. 
having spent all that time with so many of the, these great cooks, you pick up stuff, not only little tricks like Heston uses when he peels washed potatoes, he takes the, he takes the peelings, puts them in a pot with the milk he using a mashed potato and just like, you know, warms the milk and the, and the peelings together. You get the lovely starchy, thick, creamy milk with a really strong potato flavor because so much of the potato's flavor is in the skin. Then when you add it to the mash, it just amps up the flavor. Now that, that, that's a restaurant technique, but it's easy to transfer the home kitchen. So, so I love those kind of ideas. But at the end of the day, you know, flavor is flavor. And if you can't, you can't take three, three ingredients and make them delicious – um, for any home cook, then then you probably shouldn't be writing a book. Well, after we finish this, I've just got I'll get my pen and paper out, and you can uh, run me through a couple more <laughs> yeah. of those tips because I'm loving that one. That's fantastic. But I'm wondering where you start with a recipe development, Matt. Is there an ingredient that you're latched onto? Where do you start? Okay, well, look, look, there are a number of ways you, you might you might you might latch onto. Uh, I'll get some data off to the right for taste and, and delicious. I'll, I'll get some data off one of those saying, for example, stroganoff's going off. Stroganoff is going crazy. Everyone wants to know about stroganoff. So, so that, that'll prompt you to, to, to do some stroganoff recipes and to develop something that, that you think is a, a good example. Um, you'll do some research into it. You'll, you'll make a couple of versions. You'll pick your favorite. You'll find ways of making it better. In, in the case of the book, one of the things that came out in the research is that I, and I don't know how you have your stroganoff, but traditionally stroganoff was served with um, uh, like French fries, like little matchstick potato. Oh. Now, yes, exactly. Oh, I mean, I, that's that's the um, same wide-eyed look that's got the, the, the Why have made. we been having stroganoff with noodles with, for so long? Yeah, well, we all have because we just go stroganoff noodles. And yet there in Russia, fried potatoes. And and it, that dunking, dunking crispy fried, little, little shoestring fries into stroganoff sauce, it's up there with Bernays and strong rest. It's magnificent. So, mm, so, so that, 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 there's that. Most of the stuff comes. Most of my inspiration comes in the supermarket aisles. I, I, I write recipes based on on ingredients that are readily available. So, you know, yeah. again, you know, if, if someone puts a truffle in there, or you know, puts a put some really expensive ingredient in there to make it taste. Saffron, mm-hmm. yeah. So you can use yeah, yeah. Saffron's a good a good example. It's just you know I want to try and keep it in the the realms of not being crazy expensive. You know, meat's yeah. expensive enough as it is. So I'll give you an example. Is it so, partially why you went down the uh, the, the road of the veg book previously because that's so accessible? Yeah, well, that, and, look, that, and, that, and, look, and also that there, there's the the veg thing is interesting. You're right, well priced. Um, and the idea with more also was most of the, the vegetable books have been written by people who didn't love flavor and didn't love food. Mm-hmm. It's so much of them is like, it is a really, it's a great nutritional dish. It's great for your training week. It's great. It's very healthy. And it's like, no, 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 no. But I, I like the fact that you can eat v- vegetarian, vegan food, and you're not sacrificing on flavor. That it's delicious. So you serve it to carnivore. There's a there's a carrot corner where you roast carrots for like three hours, and they get chewy and they start looking like tandoori chicken. You know, burnt in places. You put that in a korma sauce, and and I've fed that to the the most ardent carnivores I know, and they and they haven't even blinked. There's no chicken in there. They're just like, <laughs> this is delicious. So that that's important. I, as I think we say, for example, you know, chicken thighs. You know, they're they're a great ingredient to use. They're very popular. Um, more and more popular than breast, even though they're even though slightly more expensive. I think we're we're looking for ways for for cooking stuff that doesn't require us to stand by the stove, so the oven's good. So we're now so we want something with chicken thighs in the oven. You know, I've done I've done chicken thighs in sweet chili sauce. I've done chicken thighs um, as a great recipe from a friend of mine in the bush, where she just chops the chicken thighs into chunks, tosses them in butter, then into panko breadcrumbs, a little bit of parmesan, a bit of thyme, and the butter makes the makes the 
the the nuggets those nuggets taste like they're fried in butter but actually bake them in the oven so you can do a big couple of big trays in them so you can feed lots of people and, and so you've got those ideas going well here's what i've done before and one of my favorite and then you think something about what goes well with chicken well peanut goes great with chicken we love chicken chicken satay we use the idea of the vietnamese dunking sauce that hosts in and peanut sauce that you have with your rice paper rolls i wonder if we could use that as a marinade for chicken so you go and try it you put in a bit of vinegar because it needs a bit of brightness. Um, you, you you toss you toss the chicken. You put it in the oven. You toast it. Um, when it toasts, the outside of that 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 hosin and peanut sauce gets a bit tanned and a bit chewy, and 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 the peanut hosin brightness is really good. And then you've got a dish. So it's not. It's Matt. It, sorry, I mate, think what, that's what, like a deep dive of the what? Matt Preston. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, so, but but I think that's. I mean, I think that there is certain. You know, I, and I think when you do it enough, and it's the same. You know, Lauren, you, you'd understand this when you. When you're designing a room and someone says, someone who doesn't know what they're talking about goes, oh, well, I really want to have a, you know, I want to have a modern room and I want to put this in there. And you go, no, that will just be wrong. But, but, and you go, well, okay, well, how about, how about going that way? And you can, you've got to try and, you've got to try and work out what they want, but how you can reinterpret that into something that's going to exactly. work. The same with food. You know, we can, we can run through a list of ingredients and I'll tell you what I think's going to be tasty in in there and i can also tell you when something's going to be you know wrong there are the obvious things you know lobster lobster and creme de menthe really bad combination you know that sounds um, awful but 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 you know corn and maple syrup bacon and corn oh straight away deliciousness mate um you're coming to us from home today in a in a room there looks lovely a beautiful north facing light pouring in there and you know, you're looking fabulous um what I'm keen to know about is, is entertaining at home a big part for you and your family? Well, you know, it, 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 it was. <laughs> Obviously, we had 250 days of lockdown down here in Melbourne. Yeah, so, so the answer is legally, no, no, it was never. I, I, I'm a big believer that the dinner party is largely gone. And we're kind of, you know, drop in and have something to eat. It's, it's become very Australian, much more casual, you know. Put a shoulder of pork or, or, or lamb in the oven, cook it slowly. You're pulling it apart and serving it with... Little more than you know, maybe a Greek salad, feta, tomatoes, yeah. cucumber, mm-hmm. olives, all flavors that go really well with lamb. Um, so it doesn't have to be tricky. Uh, I think it's just about generosity, it's about minimizing the amount of time you've got to spend doing stuff so you can enjoy your guests. And, and I, I just like that idea that you know, people drop around for drinks and then they stay for a bowl of pasta. I think that that's a, a very Australian that's way it. of entertaining. We, we find we tend to entertain that way as well, and I think it's become more casual and you're almost the way that kitchens and living spaces have been designed now as well. You're sort of hanging out in the kitchen or around the barbecue table mm-hmm. and you're prepping, you're eating, you're having a drink and you're sort of doing all of that at once. Yeah. Look, look, look it, it is interesting that, that, that the whole, the death of the dining room and the, the, the growth of the, the kitchen as the, as the new kind of, and then the open plan living at the back of the house as a, as kind of the, the, the heart of the heart of the house. I, I find it in India, um, because they became obsessed with MasterChef. In India, there was this weird thing of they they put in a show kitchen. So the really wealthy would spend half a million putting in a show kitchen that they would never cook in because they wanted to be able to stand around the kitchen and entertain. All the cooking is being done by their team of cooks down in the bowels of the building. They've got all the stainless and the appliances and stuff like that, and they're standing around the bench top. And, then, I mean, it's always, you know, what, it's been 30 40 years since Joan and Louis wrote that song, Always in the Kitchen at Parties. The kitchen at parties has always been the best place to be. One, it's where the food comes from. Two, it's off to where the best conversation comes from. So the, the logic of 
the logic of having of leaning against the bench top and talking is is perfect. And obviously, when you are entertaining the the food, the menu is crucially important. But what are some of the other important ingredients that you think go into that into that sort of experience that oh, you're giving your your family or your friends? Like, the, what, are, what are the other elements that are important? I mean, I think it's mainly about it's mainly about care and understanding who's coming and what they'll like. I think that's really important. You know, and whether that's putting together the other people you're inviting so that, that they're kind of stimulated or excited. I like some form of music in there. I think that's important. I like some sort of conversation piece, whether it's a whether it's something weird like, you know, by serving tarama salada in a little bowl with some lemon juice over the top and then surrounding it with uh, salt and vinegar chips you've warmed in the oven. Really bogan and basic, but kind of delicious. And people go, they'll they'll try it going, rolling their eyes, and they'll go, that's delicious. That gives you conversation. Obviously, I, I like to minimise the amount of... um hassle when it comes to the drinks in australia we're going to go well what do you want and you can you know if someone wants a gin and tonic someone wants a right white riesling someone wants a sauvignon blanc someone wants a champagne someone wants a beer someone wants a light beer someone would like a have you got any belgian beer um that's so I, true isn't I, it? I, I, like, I like that idea of going of actually preempting them by saying i've made a jug of you know negroni spritz or aperol spritz or a gin fizz or um you know a, a, there's a great drink which is um pink grapefruit it's called it's called a heath it's a pink grape it's bickford's pink grateful grapefruit cordial not an advert not paid with them but it's the best pink grapefruit cordial i've found soda slice of lemon and gin really refreshing Ooh, really good very drinkable good. you can let it down with the soda so it's not too boozy and you say look look i, I, I made a jug of heath we got one of these and invariably if you suggest like that they'll take it and then they yeah. can, and then when they're comfortable they can move into pouring their own champagne or or Shiraz or whatever it is they want. So I think that that's crucial. I like thinking about it. If you're gonna sit them down at a table, I like a seating plan. I'm old fashioned like that. I want to oh. I want to mix people up. I think it's really important in long term relationships. You get to see very different sides of people when you when you split the quieter partner away from the noisy partner. And I, I like that. Um <laughs> So, mate, what, what time are we coming over? Because this sounds like quite yeah, good fun. Yeah, this sounds great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Waters are open. The, the, Let's the go. Corner. Let's do it. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, sli- I'm slightly obsessed by that. I mean, I think I think little side dishes are always good, you know. It's all that stuff. Could you pass me that? All that stuff that encourages interaction. You know, I think with I think with families and with kids, I love um, what my friends call that, my friend, friend of mine, Pete, calls activity food, where it's, you know, where you're combining your own poke bowl, like a poke bowl buffet, or you're, or it's you're making tacos and you're putting your own taco together, or well, we know. we know from you know you on your TV time that um, you know finger foods you can, know, be. So, can be so much fun, right? Yeah, and 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 there's a wonderful tactile tactile thing. Chicken wings is another great example. You know, in automatic, people don't have to they relax. They don't have to stand on on ceremony. You know, you'll find the conversation when everyone's sitting there with a with their fingers sticky from a from a, a glazed chicken wing that, that it's going to be a, a raucous night compared to a more restrained stitched up night. Now, I am a bit of a salad snob. I'm not a food snob, but I am oh. a bit of a snob when it comes to salad. How snobby. Because um, I really... How snobby. Well, you know when you go to someone's house and they like, you see them open the bag that they've just bought the pre-mixed and it just goes, and that's okay. the salad. We've made it. Yeah, yeah. I I well, I'm, not, I'm not down with that. So I love experimenting different ingredients in salads and I know you've recently written about yep. salads so I was hoping you could share some of your favorite salad salads. ingredients and uh, some I suggestions think, I think, for making salads more exciting I, I think salads I think salads are you know there was always that joke that you know 
the, the power place to be was around the barbecues, turning the turning the steaks. I disagree. I think the power place to be is in the kitchen making the salads. Um, I think salads are <laughs> I think salads are crucial. Whether it's a, what I would call a hard salad, so a salad that you'll dress beforehand, like a potato salad um, or a grain salad. Um, or whether it's a soft salad that where you want to dress it fresh when people are sitting down or about to eat because the acidity in the dressing is going to going to kind of break down things like lettuce. Contrasting textures and flavors are crucial to salads. I like a bit of crunchy and a bit of creamy. I like a bit of sweet and a bit of a bit of sour, um, a little bit of salty. I like a carb-based salad and then maybe a couple of um, a couple of, of veg-based salads. I tend to like to try and think in, in terms of lines of that idea of what goes together. So if we're thinking potato yep. salad, so we're going to make a potato salad. We're, it's going to be a mayonnaise-dressed potato salad rather than vinegar-dressed potato salad. Is it going to be German? Is is that kind of is that mayonnaise going to be half mayonnaise, half Greek yogurt mixed together, a little bit of sugar? Yep. Um, and then then if it's that way, then there might be some you know some Polish or German sausage sliced in there, and some gherkins and some hard-boiled eggs. Just a straight veggie stuff. I'm I'm a big fan of keeping it really simple. I, I totally agree with you, Lauren. Opening a packet, unless you're really short for time, is is not not all that great. Um, no, and, and also because I think you end up getting getting rubbish rubbish leaves. Really, you know, at the end of the day, for me, if I'm going to make a lettuce salad, I might occasionally go a butter lettuce salad with you know a blue cheese or a vinaigrette dressing. But really, I'm a Koss and um, iceberg fan all the way. Um, Something a bit more robust, and yeah, and and they got texture, and the iceberg tastes probably longer to grow, so it's got a bit more flavour, bizarrely. But you know, so with the iceberg, you want you know that's crunchy and wet, so I, you know, I might avocado is going to be great in there. I wouldn't mind a contrasting crunch from from cucumber. I like Nigella's idea of trying to keep all the colours the same. You know, I'm not a big fan of one of those big chopped salads with 200 things in there, um, including the dreaded <laughs> grated carrot. So, so, so I kind of like things like I like really simple salads, like really good tomatoes, thinly sliced red onions, possibly softened in a bit of boiled water, or, or maybe shallots, and then just a vinaigrette and tarragon. It's so delicious. Bit of salt. It sounds so yeah, good. It's, I mean, my, my, my mouth is watering just thinking about that. Um, mm-hmm. You yeah, had a few well, good it's suggestions. Funny, it's funny you said tomatoes because we've got some, we moved in here a few weeks ago and we've got so many tomato bushes out the back. I can't. Oh, you're heaven. That's heaven. To, it's, and they taste, they're so sweet and they're delicious. Yeah. So and, nice. And look, look, if you've got have homegrown stuff, you know, that, that's, the, that, that's the absolute holy grail, especially tomatoes. And we're, we're doing better with tomatoes now with the, you know, these little, the cherries, obviously the perinos and um, things like the tombries. You know, there's more to it. But that, but that also prompts other dishes, doesn't it? You know, rather than a mayonnaise, why not, why not take your half cup of mayonnaise and grind in with and grind in a couple of anchovies and a tin of drained tuna and make a, a tuna mayonnaise like 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 vitello tonato and then put tomatoes on top of that you know that that gives you another a surprising a surprising flavor you're minimizing the flavors it's so much easier to make three flavors go together than seven well, there's some yeah. fantastic suggestions on the delicious website from the blog that you wrote and was published in, in the News Corp papers uh, a couple of months ago. Um, some fantastic suggestions like your Italian cabbage salad, which you suggested serving with a schnitty, which I love the sound of. Um, Jamie Oliver's roasted Brussels sprout salad um, with raw wal- walnuts and ricotta, uh, salted ricotta. Um, and then the one that I made, which was outstanding, Shannon Bennett's Thai-style quinoa salad and yeah. served it up with the barbecue chicken thighs like you suggested, and it was yeah, look, I think that I think that I think that idea. I think the idea, and I kind of touched on that on the last book that I did in more that, that idea of, of saying a salad can be the main event, and then then depending on how ravenous the people eating are, then grill some simply grill some yeah. 
some some thighs on on the barbecue or spats go to chicken and pop it in the oven or, or have some pulled pork use it almost like you use the meat as the the condiment or the meat as a side dish and, and, yeah, make, and make the salad exciting and delicious um, 100%. And that worked really well in that in that uh, quinoa mm. salad with the, the chicken. It was beautiful. Nothing. Mate, your new book, World of Flavor, it sounds like the round-the-world trip that we all really need yeah, right yeah, now um, after months and months of lockdowns and closed borders. Can you tell us, um, you've touched on it a bit, but, you know, in a, a snapshot, what inspired you to write the book? What's it about? Oh, look, I mean, the, the idea is to start with Australia's 100 favourite recipes, you know, the things we all love to cook, stuff that we can cook well at home, um, stuff that's worth cooking at home. Then the next thing was to was to go down the rabbit hole of finding where those dishes come from, debunk a few myths if you find them along the way, um, maybe discover a few new ideas of how to of how to approach a dish. Um, well, one of the dishes in, in the book that I'm, I'm really happy with is the Thai musman curry. And musman curry, yeah. we're all familiar with it. It's you know it's delicious, it's rich, it's kind of it's super creamy. But the original recipes in the 1850s both had um, a squeeze of orange juice in them. And and a couple of a few a few a few plump sultanas. Now it sounds so weird, but when you think the dish has come out of you know it's been made by a, by a Persian trader who was based in the old Thai capital in the kind of 1600s. From it's come from his household. You know the sultanas start to make sense, um, and the presence of the orange juice just just changes this from like a it just puts some fragrance and some freshness into a dish you're so familiar with. And I think really, really, really changes it, which I, so that, that, that that's an example of, of how doing research and finding kind of the true history of a dish can also send you in a new direction and actually allow you to kind of reignite an original flavor that actually is still extremely valid today and actually makes the dish, I think, taste better today than the, the 1980s version we've been making for the last um, 40 years. But how do you find that out? How do you find out wow. that it was orange juice oh, yeah, and yeah, sultana? Yeah. Like where, where do you go to find that? You start by, by looking at, at what's already been written and then you fact check everything. Everything's been claimed about the dish and you then either find that stuff is true um, or it's not. If it's true, then you can you can dig further and deeper down, down that track. So mayonnaise was invented for the Duke of... Uh, for a, a French duke when he captured um, when he captured the port of Mahon in the, in the Balearic Islands. So you go, did this guy exist? Was he known for food? Is there an, exa- is there an example of someone writing about the mayonnaise? You, you might find that this is absolutely not true at all. And the only, the only thing that, he, that links this guy um, to gastronomy is the fact he was, had a poncho for making all his guests dine with him in the nude. So nice little gem, <laughs> totally unrelated to mayonnaise. Can I work it in? Probably not, but I, I, I'll store it away for a, a, a story at other points. <laughs> the difference being, and I've been writing about food history for six years or so, the difference is now that you've got so many more resources. You take a dish like that's familiar and much loved like spaghetti bolognese, so you go through the 17 million pages digitised in the US Library of Congress and the, you know, the 10 million pages digitised in the British Library and then another, another 10 million digitised here. And you just do that painstaking thing of looking for every, reading every single mention um, of, of a piece that has the word spaghetti and bolognese in there. And you just okay. just find stuff. But, but on that, do you put milk in spaghetti bolognese no. or not? No. <laughs> yeah, that's a no, no look, for look, us too. Look, look, you know, it's this weird, okay, here's, so here's, this is where the pretentiousness of food people, and we talked about it early on, that there's a danger of being really pretentious. And and the answer, the, and what's happened there is that spaghetti bolognese is, as far as we can tell, you know, what, what are the signifiers of spaghetti bolognese? Made with spaghetti, number one. Tomato-based sauce, number two. Made with mince. 
mincemeat. Yeah, they're, they're the three things, okay? that Now, there are other dishes called from Bologna, Bologna being, you know, Bologna the fat, being one of the great culinary centres of the world, that, that they have a ragu bolognese, but it's made with minimal tomato, if any. It's made with chunks of beef, and the first recipe, 1891, Pellegrini Artuzzi, is made with a pasta called horse, horse teeth, so big, chunky, like gnocchi-type pasta. So that's not a spaghetti bolognese, but it might add cream. It might add cream or chicken livers. Trendy cooks try and reinterpret the bolognese, which basically is a it's a migrant dish. Southern Italians moving to Southern Italians moving to the UK, Australia, or um, the US in the you know post First World World War. When they arrive, they make the home, they make the tomato sauce in the old days. They can only find dried spaghetti, so they serve that, and they actually suddenly can afford to buy meat, which they couldn't in the old country. So they start putting mince bolognese in the UK and Australia. That turns into meatballs for. You know, in the US, spaghetti meatballs is their kind of version of bolognese. But but what happens is that <laughs> that's too working class and prosaic for some food writers, and so they want to titivate it. So they go back and they go, well, here's a dish called bolognese. We'll put we'll put coxcombs in there. We'll put livers in there. We'll put cream in there. Is it authentic to what I think a real bolognese is? No. Um, can it work? Well, you know, there's a a little bit of creaminess stuff doesn't hurt a bolognese. I think if you cook stuff slowly, you're going to get that creaminess. You know. I think there are better ways of getting flavour, you know, parmesan uh, crust, a little bit of lemon zest will help your bolognese, and thyme. But having said that, there was a bolognese cook-off recently and uh, I saw that the winning dish had a splash of cream in it. So never knock it till you try it. Everybody's got their own um, spaghetti bolognese. Lauren, you're absolutely right. And that's the whole whole confusing thing. um, I remember sitting in, the, we were filming the Campo di Fiori in Rome. It's a, it's a foodie hub. It's probably the place where carbonara was, in, was invented. Um, and we were, I was talking to a table of Italians about what makes a true carbonara. One said it must have guanciale. Another one said it must have tomato in it. We're going, what? Another one said it has to have cream. And you're going, so Italians can't agree around the table, let alone, you know, region to region. There's a famous story of... Um, of a very well, it's probably, barely even a country, is it? It's, uh, well, it's like it, a bunch it, of states, is, basically, as, isn't as it? As Metternich said, it's a geographical, it's a geographical express, expression. Um, and and you know, again, it was only it only became a country, you know, comparatively recently. So it's got these very strong re- regional ties. And they will argue about they will argue about what goes into the correct dish. And I think is you see in lots of uh, places where where you've got very strong regional tradition of, of food. You see it in Greece a lot. People arguing over what should go in. What's the right way to make something? What's the right way to make a pie? I, mean, I love that. I, I think I think that's ex- exciting. Um, it, it does it make makes it food little... interesting, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah, but but having said that, you know, there you know, around Naples, around Naples, there are a number of Neapolitans recessed by writing cookbooks, and there are a number of cookbooks you can you can turn to and see. Well, okay, well here's the first example of you know a, a pasta made with a tomato sauce. So so you can kind of track. Yeah, there, there, there's there's often a route you can find in Italy. Even at the time that someone else sees it, they go, I can make this better, and they, they change it totally. Matt, we love food and travel, and they usually go hand in hand. And I know that you've done a, a lot of travel yeah. through your work over the years. Um, one of the first things that we do when we plan a trip is well, actually, it's probably the first thing that we do is where are we going to eat? Where are we going to eat? <laughs> it's, um, a very, a very, very sensible and, and important thing. I always think find out, find out what, find out what sporting event is on, and then find out where, <laughs> then, then, then book your tables. <laughs> and look, and, and it, it does for us make a trip. Do, do you reckon that you can have one without the other? You know, you think about a world of flavour and you think about travel, you know, can you no. go and do a trip without food? I, I know we can't. No, 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 definitely not. Well, I mean, you got, you're going to have to eat, aren't you? I think the idea of, and I also think the idea <laughs> you better make good. good point. I should have thought of that. I think there are two things I'll, I'll say there. The first one is, 
I think there's something sad about going to a place and, and, and eating a club sandwich in your room, no matter where you are in the world. Go downstairs, talk to the guy on the front desk, very, there'll be an Aussie there, and say, before you shift, where do you go and eat? And they'll, you know, you'll find a great ramen place in Tokyo. You'll find a fantastic place for satay and, um, or, or Rojak in, in, uh, in Kuala Lumpur. They'll size you up and work out whether you're, whether they want to send you somewhere there's a booking and they can ring and say, look after, look after this, um, this guest, or whether they, they can just send, send you out. I, I think the other thing is, I mean, I, for me, you know, the first thing I do is it's, um, it's go to the market and go to the supermarket. Because I want to see not just what's in what people got to cook with, but also, you know, go down the snack aisle of the supermarket and see what their chips flavours are like, and you'll learn a lot. You know, you'll learn that, that South Africans are obsessed with fruit chutney. You know, they're obsessed with it. <laughs> lots of dishes. It's the choice of chips and fruit chutney flavours. You know, you'll find you'll find tom tom yum flavoured chips in, in in Bangkok. You'll find salted duck egg and pollock road chips in in Tokyo. So I think <laughs> you sound like you really studied this. Yeah, chips, I know. Yeah. Because, because because it's the first. It's one of the first things that we always do is do a chip tasting where we go and do a dinner somewhere. Fantastic. Because it, it, it's just, that's how you get into the real flavour of the place. But I think the yeah. other thing, the other danger about that making the bookings thing is that a lot of the places, a lot of the best places to eat, eat in a city are invariably not ones where you can make a booking. You go to Tokyo, you go, you go and eat, there's a wonderful restaurant called Nurasawa. It's a, it's an amazing restaurant. The food is unbelievable. It's one of the top 50 in the world. He's super creative. It's beautiful. Um, but you will be eating with, you will be eating with Americans, other Australians, Chinese businessmen, you know, where, whereas if you find yourself down in and you find yourself down in a little yakitori bar where you're literally pointing and, the, and where they kind of, and hopefully where they're welcoming, it's not always the case where they're welcoming, you, you'll, <laughs> you'll, you'll have that wonderful experience of the, 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 the shared pleasure of eating something totally delicious that you've never tried before. Um, and only then getting the Google translator up to the menu and going, I never knew chicken hearts were that, that tasty. <laughs> Well, Matt, look, I think you've done two things for us today. You've shared so much amazing information about food and entertaining. You've made me want lunch and I need to book a holiday. Three things. So thanks so much uh, for joining us. We can't wait to check out the new book, uh, World of Flavor. It looks amazing. And uh, thanks again for your time. No, absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. And then keep up the good work with the podcast. Lovely talking to you both. Thank you, Scott. Thank, Thank you, man. Gosh, he's got a way with words, hasn't he? He sure does. And I think that's one of the reasons why we all loved him on MasterChef on Channel 10 for all those years. Yeah, absolutely. But I reckon far from being like a fancy five-star food fan, you can tell how much he really just loves making food fun and accessible for people like us um, with his take on flavours. He does. He's so knowledgeable about all those ingredients as well. Yeah. And look, you can get Matt Preston's new book, World of Flavor, now. It's his eighth book, and it sounds like an absolute cracker. I can't wait to get into it. Maybe Santa might pop a copy in my Christmas stocking. Yes, well, I might write a note now and see what Santa says. (laughs) Um, Meanwhile, I've got to quickly mention the name of his first book. I think you might like this. Back in 2009, Mm -hmm. Cravatalicious. (laughs) It's not bad. Um, He was was very well known for those cravats, those elaborate cravats he wore on TV. Well, that was one of the things that made him stand out on MasterChef chef but of course we now know um, after all of those years that he really has a good handle on flavors and a real way with words like you said so that's a fun book the other one that I wanted to mention was more which he mentioned in our conversation um, and it's a book about delicious recipes that star vegetables with more of everything uh, that's his take more flavor more texture more color well, that's another great option 
So don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts and let us know if you've got one of Matt's books or if there's one of his recipes that's a favourite in your house. You can hit us up on the socials at Lauren Keenan Home on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget you can contact me directly at any time. We have a very special button on the website. It's called the contact button. (laughs) It'll go straight through to my inbox. So get in touch if you're interested in some advice or if you want me to work on your next interior design or renovation project, just send me a message on the contact page at laurenkeenan.com.au. That sounds good. And that is it for us for the year. Oh, we've had a lot of fun these last few weeks, haven't we? We, we have actually. It's, it's been about six months of episodes. Has it? It's been really <laughs> Time good. Time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> and just like Hamish and Andy often talk about on their podcast, uh, Lauren, I do have some news for you mm-hmm. and our listeners. Yes. Uh, we too are being forced to take our government-mandated podcast holiday over Christmas. Theirs goes for three months. Ours might be a touch shorter, but um, a break indeed it shall be. Excellent. Looking forward to that. And then we're going to be back with some more great episodes in February, right? Yeah, looking forward to that, tackling a new year with some fresh ideas. In the meantime, we hope you have an amazing, safe and healthy Christmas. With your friends and family and plenty of great food and good times. So until next year, thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode of At Home with Lauren Keenan, your authority on home, lifestyle and interior design. 